Welcome to the University of Adversity, where the only rules of the class is to hold your head up high and keep moving forward. Because when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And now, here's your host, Lance Isios. This episode is brought to you by Mike Young, the makeover master. If you feel your business image might be costing you money, influence, power, and respect, Then head over to makeovermaster.com to discover what their complete brand makeover experience is all about. Go check it out right now because everyone deserves to look their best. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of University of Adversity. I'm your host, Lance Isios. My next guest is an Ivy League-educated celebrity happiness coach, positive psychology expert, published author, and a TV host personality. His work has been endorsed by Oprah, Vanessa Williams, and many others. He is also the co-host of Good Morning La La Land, an on-camera expert and consulting producer for Mind Your Own Business, which is on the Oprah Winfrey Network, and a celebrity love coach for Famously Single on E. That's just a little bit of what he's accomplished, and I'm just so excited to dive into his story. But with all success comes a lot of growth. So unfortunately, growing up, he went through some very difficult times uh, of attempting suicide and being very depressed, but he was able to overcome those challenges to go on to create some amazing things, and I'm just so excited to have him on. Robert Mack, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me, man. You got me fired up with that intro. (laughs) We talked about that. You got me fired up. I don't know if it's the resident voice and the great content or the boxing club behind you, man, but I'm fired up. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, man. I... um, I love it. And I, I just love these diving into stories and finding out about you. And, you know, you've, you've created so much and you have such amazing energy in what you're doing. And I'm just so curious to just dive deep in your story because, you know, I know where you've become now and I want to dive into that, but I want to hear about where you came from and, you know, some of the, the trials and tribulations that you had to overcome as a child to get here. So let's, let's dive deep. Yeah, man. So great question. Um, I was raised in like the most loving and most stressful family I feel like ever, you know, incredible mom, incredible dad. You know, my dad was a disciplinarian and, uh, you know, he had been in the Navy and so he raised us that way, you know, so full of discipline. And my mom was incredible, um, loving mother, very self-sacrificing. I grew up like a lot of other kids really just wanted to play sports my whole life. I wanted to be a professional basketball player. Um, nonetheless, I was also a very anxious, shy, introverted kid. And I became over time increasingly pessimistic, cynical, to the point of getting um, or being deeply depressed and even suicidal. And uh, despite the fact that I was doing well academically, I did well athletically, I had great friends. Um, You know, at some point I had a great consulting job, I had a great girlfriend. Um, My depression just continued to deepen and worsen to the point where I began to research and very seriously contemplate suicide. And um, to this day, I still got the test marks on my wrist, you probably can't see there on the screen, but yeah, man, I went through a really, really dark, difficult period of my life early. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you were able to get through that because as we had talked about before and anybody, you know, I lost my younger brother to that and it's, it's crazy to think about, you know, what would happen if that actually worked? You know, what if you, you went through with it and, it, and, and, you know, how many people would have been affected by that and how many people have, wouldn't be able to have that light that you bring into their life. And I mean, after, so 
you went through that. That's very traumatizing. But when you, what was the light? Like, what was the shift that went in your mind that kind of, you know, got you out of that from that state? Such a great question. So the strangest thing happened, man. Like when I was going through that period of time and I decided to finally, it was going to slip my wrist. That's what I decided after doing the research. And I went to get a steak knife and I went to dig it into my wrist and inexplicably, I felt total peace and joy and bliss. And I felt deeply, truly loved, man. Like for no good reason, I couldn't explain it. You know, I couldn't, my objective circumstances and conditions didn't change, but subjectively I had never felt better. So I thought, man, I can put this suicide thing off for at least an hour, at least an hour. And I'll just do a little research, see what is going on there. And that hour slipped into a day and the day slipped into a week and the week slipped into several months. Not that I wasn't experiencing suicidal ideation along the way, because I was, and I was still very much tempted to end it all. But inch by inch, I just continued to kind of dig myself out of this dark, deep, depressing hole that I had sort of built or dug for myself. And uh, yeah. How, so how did that, okay, so you grew up loving family. This is, this is the thing that I, I just, I want, you know, I want to get across to people is that sometimes you can have the most loving family and they mean the most, they mean the best for you, but you can still be challenged with these thoughts and of, you know, um, unworthiness or um, unhappiness. You know, why, why would you, what caused you to think like that and to do such a crazy thing? You, you're really highlighting something really important, man. Like, this is why I love conversations with you. This is why I love you because you get it really the heart and the essence of the issue. And you're right. Like my family is incredible. Yeah. It was a hard upbringing to a large extent. We didn't have a lot of money and I, but the challenge for me and the opportunity was my thoughts. It was just my thoughts. I can't explain necessarily where they came from, but I will tell you that what made me most depressed and most unhappy was this proposition of life itself. Like at a very young age, I was just very sort of intimately familiar with the fact that we are going to spend all of our lives or most of our lives working really hard to accomplish some big things. Maybe we would, maybe we wouldn't. And to love people really hard. And then one day it was all going to be ripped away from me. Like that idea and that thought was like, man, what kind of God, what kind of infinite intelligence puts us on earth to experience this pain, this suffering, the illness along the way, the loss, the misfortune, just so we can ultimately die anyway. That to me was deeply disturbing. I couldn't make, you know, heads or tails of it. I couldn't make sense of it. And I certainly couldn't find peace in that. And so it's interesting now because I still very much notice that I have those thoughts, but it's a whole different experience for me. I look at that and say, oh my God, how incredible is that? It's the most beautiful thing ever where we live on this incredible planet. We get to love all these incredible people. And, and I can find peace in that now, whereas before that I couldn't. And I see it in a totally different way. But at the time, dude, it was deeply disturbing. You know, so we call it existential angst, but I experienced this existential angst that led me to say, hey, why do I want to wait 70 years before I die, experience all this pain along the way? Why not just end it right here, right now? Wow. Yeah. Powerful. And it's so true because you see so many people, I mean, everybody's had that thought. I don't know about everybody. I can't speak for everybody, but I mean, I definitely had that thought growing up, whether I, I didn't ever take, obviously didn't try to do that, but you ask yourself those questions, you know, well, why is, why, why would a God put people through pain? Why would, 
you know, innocent people be killed? You know, why are people being bombed? All this crazy stuff. And, and it's fair for somebody to ask that. And, but as you start to learn and, and you start to grow, you start to realize that a lot of the this, this stuff that happens to people, I mean, is, you know, a lot of the, the, the adversity that you go through is actually helping you. And, and it's almost a gift as hard as it is to wrap your head around. Right. But Preach. those each Preach, Lance, brother. That's man, it. Those, those things, those, those, those struggles. I mean, those learning lessons are what it's all about. You know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And it's so hard at a young age when you got so many distractions and you got so much going on for you to really realize that. And sometimes it takes you to hit rock bottom for you to really realize, you know, the good things in your life. Oh so, yeah, like, so, all right, you, you, obviously you're successful in sports and school. So take us through your journey through, um, you know, going into college and all that, that route. Did that, did those feelings, did that, those, that negativity, did that come back and you just became better at, at sort of, sort of like deciphering those ideas? Like, tell us about that. Yeah, a bit. so great, great question. So, you know, um, I was probably in my early 20s when I finally decided to like, when I was seriously researching and then took the wrist, the sort of the knife to my wrist. Um, and so my college years were great off and on. I was mostly full of anxiety, mostly full of stress. Um, you know, I connected with people easily because I was, I generally, I genuinely liked people. So it wasn't that I didn't like people at all or anything like that. And I found something to connect with them about. I was really just focused on getting in and out of college as quickly as possible. Um, but I definitely struggled with the depression and the suicidal ideation in college. And to a large extent, the one thing that college did do is it gave me a broader context for understanding what was going on in my own mind. Not sort of directly, but just I got a taste of and an introduction to certain kinds of spirit, you know, certain spiritual traditions and religion and psychology. And some of those things piqued my interest. And I found that psychology and spirituality particularly were very much dedicated to diving into some of the deeper issues that I felt I was fraught with, that I struggled with so much. And so that gave me a little hope. And then later when I sort of decided I was going to kill myself, that I had this sort of moment of almost divine intervention, I then leaned into the psychology. I leaned into some of the spirituality and said, hey, if there have obviously been other people in this place, psychological, emotional place that I'm in currently, and they're smarter than me, and they probably spent a lot more time educating themselves on it. Maybe I can learn from them. And so I found before long that all the spiritual traditions really had a lot to say about it. And there was a new growing field of positive psychology that was focused on what make the study in science of what makes life worth living. So I started diving into that and I discovered that I wasn't the only one feeling this way that since 1950, most people were feeling a lot worse subjectively on the inside, despite their life getting better. So in 1950, for instance, you know, we had depression, we had all these things, but 50 years later, we had 10 times the amount of unipolar depression. We had more stress and anxiety than ever. People were lonelier than ever in large parts of the, most of the United States, you know, 46% of people feel lonely on most days. In the UK, it's like 60%. But I noticed that people were feeling worse despite their life getting better in real terms. And they were calling that the progress paradox. So that helped me not feel alone. And then I just started to diving into like, well, how, what can we do to make this better? What can we do to be happier, to be more at peace and to live in a kinder, more enjoyable world? Right. Yeah. So 
You know what I, when I talk, when I think about this, one of the things that comes to my mind that just blows my mind is like Robin Williams. Like he is one, you know, that I just, there's been a few, but someone like him that on the outside looks so happy and looks like he's made it. He's got the success. And then he go, he went and did something like that. It's just, it's so hard to wrap your head around, but then it also makes you realize that just because you've, you've hit those levels of, Success, that doesn't actually mean that you're happy. You nailed it. You nailed it. That's such incredible insight. One of my favorite quotes is by Jim Carrey. He says, I want everyone to become rich and successful so they can finally realize it's not the answer. But I think most people live on hope. They don't live on happiness. They live on hope. And their hope is that if they make enough money, if they succeed enough or accomplish enough or achieve enough or acquire enough, that they're going to feel fulfilled and happy finally one day. And what happens with a lot of very rich and successful people, a lot of those people in my private practice, is that they get to that place where they're like, well, I've made $100 million, and I've got four Emmys, or I've got six Oscars, and I'm not happier. Why am I not happier? In fact, they'll often say, I'm so much less happier than when I started. I was happier when I was broke. And you're like, what? <laughs> but, but the problem is, you know, the problem at the end of the day, that they're experiencing the same problem that I was experiencing which is a mind that can't shut up, that can't sit quiet, that just can't stop thinking. That's ultimately, it's the same problem. It doesn't matter if, you've, if you're a billionaire or if you're broke. It's a mind that can't shut up. That's the root and, and, and sort of the cause of all unhappiness in the world. So do you teach people how to sort of take those thoughts so yeah, actually tell us, how do, you, how do you walk people through that? So everybody, it's normal to have thoughts all day long, right? I don't know what the stat is, how many we have, but you're going to have bad thoughts. Which one? What is it? 70 to 90,000 thoughts a day. That's crazy. And you're going to have those thoughts, but it's what you do with those thoughts and how you, which ones you say, hey, hello, thought. You're not serving. What are you doing here? You're not serving me. Like it's literally like that. So how do you teach people to... To, to distinguish which thoughts serve them and which don't? Wow, great question. So the, first, the very first step is prioritizing happiness more than anything else. If you truly, deeply commit to happiness and say, listen, screw it. If that means I'm broke, I'm broke. If it means I'm a failure, I'm a failure. But I'm going to be happy because the reason I want to achieve, accomplish, or acquire anything in the world, doesn't matter what it is, is because I'm after a feeling. I just simply want to feel good. If you're clear about that, like crystal clear about that, and you commit to that and prioritize that above everything else, I could probably stop right here and you don't need any more tips and tricks, honestly. But very few people make that commitment. They don't see that clearly. You know? So anyway, so you start there. Second step is, particularly with the, with the thoughts, and you nailed it, there's really two kind of approaches to being happier. And that is positive thinking. We'll call it positive feeling as well. Or no thinking, right? But in, with respect to the positive thinking, it's very easy. You want to tell yourself a better feeling story based in truth about everything and everybody in your life, no matter what it is, right? And so that's the real challenge and the opportunity for people is to notice how it makes them feel. So as you think that thought, as you focus on that particular person, that particular theme or topic, does it make you feel better or worse? It's like an eye test. Does this look better? Does that look better? And over time, as you begin ramping up, you'll find that it becomes easier and easier to think in increasingly optimistic ways that are based in truth because you're literally rewiring your brain to serve you in that way. But most of us have practiced focusing on the problem and focusing on the unhappiest parts of our lives and each other and ourselves that we've become really, really, really good at it. So it's only natural that it's effortless, that it's automatic. 
And so that's, you just start where it's easy and you practice everywhere. It's a master switch you turn on. You don't turn it off. Like what a lot of people do, they say, oh, I'm going to do this with my girlfriend, but I won't do it with myself. Or I'll do it at work, but I won't do it at home. No, you've got to turn this switch on and leave it on. Right. Yeah. And it's so, you could have so many things going on and it's like we, so many people tend to focus on just what didn't work. It cancels out the entire, and if you just focus on what's working, like you may not be where you want to be exactly, but chances are you've come a long ways. You got to be grateful for that process and That's stop exactly focusing right. on what, what, what you haven't hit. Oh man, it's critical, brother. Like I love Wayne Dyer used to say, and uh, he used to always say, the law of flotation was not discovered by the contemplation of the sinking of things. In other words, you can't have an, a happy life by focusing on the unhappy aspects of your life. You can't have a happy relationship by focusing on what's so unhappy about your partner. You just can't. No, yeah. you can't. And I've, I've noticed that this is, this is something that in this journey, I've really noticed if I'm, if I'm feeling some sort of lack or some sort of, um, I'm looking at things differently where I, I'm starting to question or whatever. I literally will sit down and just practice gratitude and, and name the things that, that are, like, you know, say a, a relationship even. If, it's, if your relationship, you're going through a little bit of a hard time. If you sit down and think about all the good things you have in that relationship, all of a sudden you switch. You, you don't even care about what you forgot what you were even worried about. You nailed it. And what's beautiful about that, what's beautiful, and I love that you do that. And I had to do that too. What's beautiful, you said a number of things there that I just want to highlight because I don't even know if you know how profound it is. One, one thing is you focus on the things you're genuinely grateful about. You know, a lot of people try to snow job it. they say, I should be grateful about this thing, but I don't feel that grateful about that thing. I feel more grateful about this little shallow thing over here. So often when you're starting that list or you're beginning to think about what you're most grateful for, make sure you focus on, thing, on the things that you're most genuinely grateful for, even if they seem super trivial or shallow. It's like, Oh, I like watching that movie because she was hot in the movie. I like just looking at her or I like chocolate. But whatever it is, you focus on those things you're genuinely and authentically grateful for, not things that you're trying to force yourself to be grateful for. Yeah, there's a lot of people almost, what is it called? Unapologetically grateful or something. People yeah. are, feel guilty about being great, being happy about what they have accomplished. Like, why are we programmed like that? Yeah, it's such a great question, dude. It's, it's a good point. I, there's an expression I love, which is don't hide, hide your light under a bushel, you know, and it's unfortunate a little, and I've even experienced this a little bit, you know, we have this kind of twisted idea about happiness and we don't trust when people are genuinely, authentically happy. And I've discovered this myself because the one, look, I don't, I, there's so much I don't know about in the world. I know this much, you know, about anything, but it just so happens that the one thing I know a lot about is happiness. Cause it's the one thing that for me has been literally life or death, you know? So I know a lot about it. And so I've practiced in the same way that Michael Jordan is, or Steph Curry or whoever has practiced their three. I practice happiness like day in and day out. Like it's good. Like I'm like, like, like it's important. It's more important to me than breathing. Literally, that's how I feel. So when I meet people, they'll say, are you really like this? Like, are you just putting that, you know, is it a put on, is it a show? And I'm like, no, you don't understand, bro. Like I've been on the other side when you're miserable and unhappy and you want to kill yourself. And when you've gone to that place and you come back and you realize that if I just do this, make this little tweak or that little tweak, I can be happy, it changes everything. But people question that. But they don't question, interestingly enough, why you're healthy. They never say, hey, Rob or Lance, why are you guys so healthy? But happiness is just health of the spirit. That's all it is. Yeah. Yeah, totally. 
And I really liked what you said earlier about how some people just want to say, oh, I'm going to do this with my relationship, but nothing else. It's like, it's that classic saying, how you do one thing is how you do everything, right? So how you show up in one area, it's like in a daily routine. If you, if you don't, if you wake up and you slack on your routine, then you're slacking at work, then you're slacking at the gym, then you're going to slack when you eat. And it's, it's like that in all areas. It's like that in happiness too. If you're not, if you're not focusing on that all the time, in all areas, then you're just, it's just going to crumble. You're totally. And it, you're right. It bleeds on everything. It bleeds into everything. The one thing I'd say probably the greatest challenge often with me um, when I began the happiness thing, sort of my own commitment to happiness, but also when I'm working with clients is convincing them that first of all, it's good to feel good. It's mind blowing how hard that can be. for <laughs> yeah. they say, Oh, I got to suffer to get what I want. And I said, no, it's first of all, it's just good to feel good. But also, it's good to feel good because it gets you better things. It creates for you a better life. So we know based on decades of empirical data that happy people, that leads to success. So happiness is not only the greatest success, it also leads to other traditional forms of success. By that, I mean this. Happy people make about $600,000 to $700,000 more on average over the course of their life. They live six to seven years longer. They get married earlier, stay married longer, and are happy in their relationships, whether they're married or not. They experience less job burnout. In all ways, their lives are better and more successful. So yes, happiness is a price you have to pay for success, but it's really the cheapest, easiest, best price you would want to pay for anything. Um, but it is tough to convince people of that, that they can actually make progress in their life and be successful and have everything they want and do it through happiness by being happy and putting happiness first. Awesome, man. I, I appreciate that so much. I want to just, just dive into one area here that I've wanted to ask you, just surrounding everything here. You were, you were in the modeling industry, right? The acting yeah. industry. Now, was. now, how was, what was that like as far as like um, the energy and how people think and the, and the happiness and just basically like maybe paint a picture of, of, of the thoughts and how you've changed or how you, what you noticed then or now that people, how people think and how their happiness is. Great question, man. So I'm going to provide a little context, but I'll keep it tight for you. I promise. Um, I was working at a consulting firm, great people, great company, hated my job, man. <laughs> like I just didn't like it. And so at some point in time I was like, I wanted out. And thankfully at some point they said, Hey Rob, you can either go back to this position where you were traveling a lot or you can find another job. And I said, I'm going to find another job. So I, so at that point in time, left the consulting firm, moved to Miami and I began looking for other kinds of work. I didn't find a whole lot. And thanks to, I remember seeing um, actually wild on E with Brooke Burke. You might be too young to remember this Uh, show. Okay. I remember. Yeah. And um, (laughs) that convinced me to move to Miami. So it was at this point in my life that I was really making decisions to put happiness first. And I was saying, even if everything goes completely to crap, I'm going to do that thing those things that make me happiest. So moving to Miami was one of them. Um, looking for work in a different field. Well, lo and behold, I ran into this guy on Lincoln Road, which is a pretty popular destination spot in South Beach. And he said, hey, I don't know what you do, but you might want to stop by the modeling agency. And I said, oh my gosh, that's probably not me. I don't even think of myself as attractive at all. And he was like, no, you should just stop by. And after a period of time, I eventually did stop by because I needed to make money and pay the bills. So I did, and I will tell you, it was the best experience, one of the best experiences of my life, and it completely 
changed my mind in terms of what I thought about the modeling business, the entertainment business. I mean, the models that I met were some of the greatest, deepest people I've met. I never expected that. Um, the money I get paid was fantastic when I was able to find work. It's very hard. I mean, we always joked in Miami that if you were a model, that was the same as saying you were unemployed because it was so hard. You know, like you'd book a job like once every couple of months maybe. But it really allowed me to recognize and accept the possibility that I can make exceptional money doing what I loved, you know, and that I could, and then, and that there were other people doing the same thing that I, you know, they were doing what they loved and they were making money at it. That for me was incredible and pretty revolutionary for me just to recognize that, Hey, life doesn't have to be all pain. You can actually do something that you enjoy and you can make even more money than if you did something you hated. For sure. And I just, you know, cause Sometimes you see that industry and it, it seems like people are unhappy, but I'm glad that you, you know, because obviously there's different perspectives, right? And I'm glad that you, you kind of elaborated on that. It actually, there is a lot of like really unique people and very deep people. Cause I mean, you only hear about what in the media, you know, there's a lot, you know, with models and, and all the stuff over the years, it could be, um, they go through the lot of. Absolutely. And I would never want to take away from that because the one, and I think it's also different for a guy and a brown guy that I was often the prop, man. Let's be honest. I was just a prop, you know, and it was easy. So I would just stand there. I didn't have to worry about, I mean, I tried to always stay in great shape and all that stuff, but I didn't have the pressure that a lot of the women have. Um, I didn't have the pressure uh, that a lot of like the principal um, sort of models would have, the primary sort of role in a, on a shoot or whatnot would have. And so for me, it was just like, Oh, I can book this other job. I get to go to some fancy, beautiful place and spend some time and eat for free. And it's great. And I went on with my life. It wasn't an identity for me, but for lots of folks in the entertainment space, particularly models, uh, they really struggle, you know, whether it's with body dysmorphia and all these expectations around what they should look like and how they should be. And the fact that they shouldn't talk a whole lot or say a whole lot. And so it can become extremely frustrating and challenging space and occupation for people to have. But it probably helped you a lot at just learning, you know, those are all just learning, just steps along the way that you could take and now into what you're doing now and, and with Good Morning La La Land and just how you're helping empower women and the message you guys have on that show. Like for, for anybody listening out here, guys, if you haven't seen Good Morning La La Land, you got to check it out. Can you just maybe tell us, give us your, your take? Because I had Dr. Aaron on here, you know, I had Jezla on here. Yeah, they were so excited. They were like, you want to be on this? I was like, yeah. They were like, can we come? I'm like, you already had your turn. It's yeah. my turn now. You guys were great. And I just, the, the, as soon as I walked in there, the love and the energy and just that whole show is just absolutely incredible. You guys are amazing. Maybe just tell the, the audience that doesn't know about it, what it is you guys do and just like yeah. how powerful it is. Yeah. So, you know, it was really created by Dr. Aaron. We've been friends for over a decade, probably 15 years. And we, she and I have been talking for a long time because we noticed that there was this gaping void in the entertainment world for positive, inspirational, uplifting shows, you know, particularly morning shows. And we wanted to be a part of that. We wanted to create something where people could come on. They didn't have to be famous. They didn't have to be well-known. They could share their very inspiring story, maybe a business, a brand, maybe they're an actor, an actress, a musician, and they could share it. They could share the dark times, but also share the ways in which they've grown from the adversity they faced in their life. And that, for me, was extremely exciting, just the thought and the possibility of doing that. So every weekday, 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific, through all social media platforms, we stream live 
this morning's show. We have the first segment that really focuses on a theme of the day and it's something positive and uplifting, usually a teaching moment. And then we start to have interview, um, you know, guests um, from all around the world. People are flown in from Australia, from the UK, and from Japan, from all over the world. And uh, when we're lucky, we have great guests such as yourself um, who share just inspiring messages to uplift people and to remind people that this world can be tough and life can be hard, but you can get through it. You can get through it joyfully and you can be better off after you've gotten through it. You can grow through contrast and adversity. You don't have to experience trauma always. Yeah, and that's the thing is I love how you guys have, it's the same sort of thing as what I'm doing. That's why I loved it is that you're sharing that, that growth and, and you know somebody out there could hear that message or just one person and it could tweak their whole decisions on how they make how they go about their life. And it's just so powerful. Like how you guys, you know, just the, the wide range of, of people and the energy there is amazing. But I know it can, like being live can obviously be challenging as well. So, you know, what are some of those, those like small challenges and adversities that you go on a daily oh, basis? Because man, you, I know you're a, you're a handsome, polished dude, but like, oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, it can be tough sometimes, man. Tell us about your day-to-day, how the challenges. I appreciate you saying that, by the way. I'm fully going to fully receive that. That's <laughs> taken me a lot of years just to be able to just simply say that because I've always I've never felt that way, Lance, so thank you. But I would say that um, so some of the, it's, it, it is a spiritual practice in and of itself, just doing a live show for a number of reasons. First of all, you begin to notice and be reminded of all the little insecurities you have, especially if you, re, if you watch it again on replay, right? So it's like, man, why wasn't I looking at the camera at that time? Why did I say that when the, actually the right word was this? Or, you know, why didn't I chime in there? And so all of a sudden, it can become like this vortex of negativity. So that's the one thing, you know, um, thankfully, I had a lot of experience and practice before Good Morning La La Land uh, that, that introduced me to the challenge and the opportunity of getting drawn into this like snowball effect of negativity. So that's the one piece. The other thing is, um, you know, I think the challenge with doing it live is that there are no redos. <laughs> like, there are no, there's no, you know, no do-overs, you know. And so that can be a little frustrating. But it's interesting because these challenges offer you the greatest opportunities. Like the one thing I've discovered more and more is that I just don't worry anymore when I do an interview. I just do it the best I can. I realize it can always be better. And the fact that it can always be better gives me hope and reason to keep doing it. Because it's like, okay, I didn't say everything I wanted to say, which is a good reason for me to do another one, right? So I'll share it more. So you just find these increasingly optimistic ways to explain to yourself and reason away all the things that don't feel all that great about doing a live show. But it's been, it really has been a phenomenal journey and a really a phenomenal practice. Um, just in simple things like presence, being really present, um, being an active listener, um, speaking slowly enough and clearly enough, that's always been a challenge for me. The more passionate I get, the faster I want to speak. Um, you know, looking people in the eyes, relaxing on the inside, no matter what is going on around you, and recognizing and realizing that your job as a host is to hold a space so that guests can come in and feel welcome and feel not judged, right? So um, it's been such a practice. It's such a great question. You know that from experience. Well, yeah, oh, man, thank you for saying, sharing that because that's, that's just like the perfect answer because we're always, in hindsight, 
it's always like, oh man, I should have said that. Or why did I, why did I wear that? Or why did I, why did I hold my hands like that? <laughs> like, man, like, even like, there's, there's so many things. Like, even if it's not live, I mean, I still haven't, I haven't been able to go back and listen to all my shows because I'm, I'm just like, man, I don't, I don't know. I got to get to that place where I, I have that because I know I, I'm, I'm overcritical and I'll look at it. I'll be like, man, that was stupid. Why'd you take it there? Yeah. Dude, dude like, we all feel that. It's, it's such know? a great point. Yes. It's such a great point. It's interesting. Um, for a long time, you know, before I did Good Morning La La Land, I was just doing other TV stuff and I had some media spokesperson training because I was a media spokesperson for like companies now and then. And, um, it was interesting because when I opened my private practice, you know, I was lucky enough to have some folks that big musicians and artists and actors. And, you know, every now and then, you know, we'd be, I'd be driving them somewhere, maybe I'd drop them back at home or I'd go to their house to do the set. And it's interesting because every now and then their movie would be playing on some screen somewhere, or we'd hear the music come on on the radio. And lots of them would say, oh, turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. And like, why? It's you. It's awesome. I love it. Like, I can't hear myself. I can't stand to hear myself. And I remember thinking, oh my God, like you're the most incredible, inspiring actor, actress, musician ever. And you don't like to hear yourself? That gives me a lot of comfort and salt, you know? Yeah. So I, you know, I wonder, because I think particularly folks like you and I, who probably have a history of being overcritical, Sometimes watching, listening to yourself is helpful, but you're probably, you're so emotionally intelligent and I, hopefully I'm emotionally intelligent enough too, to recognize the little tiny tweaks that I want to make without overdoing it and rewatching everything and dissecting everything that I did or didn't do right. Yeah, for sure. And it's, you kind of, as you get, start to do it more, you just kind of like, you just sort of enjoy it. You know, you, you watch your first one. Like, I mean, I, I watched my first, you know, live on Facebook from two years ago or three years ago, and it's completely different, right? Like, oh, dude, totally. It's, you know, you're looking around, like not looking at the camera, like, <laughs> I mean, but it's, it's amazing how you get better each time and, you know, how, from how you sit to how you articulate, like, that's what I find sometimes is I find myself trying to, you know, I'm not a really educated guy, you know, so sometimes my articulating words i'm like I, how do i say that so i don't sound like uh, you know, uh too yeah. much slang or something <laughs> yeah, but here's what's interesting about it, and this is what i i find this so interesting and i i hear you on that and yet that's one of the reasons i love talking to you most is because you're not you don't ever it's authentic with you you're so deeply authentic and there's a conversational style that comes through like with me for instance when i wrote books i discovered that i wasn't writing in my real voice like i was using these words that I would never say, I would never say sort of to a person directly. And that was actually a problem. And so I honestly think, as I think about what I've learned over the course of this like, entertainment career or TV and stuff, one of the probably most important things is one, just relax. Two, just enjoy yourself as much as possible. The more you enjoy yourself, the, not, the, the less any of that stuff matters. And three, double down on the confidence. Like that's, you know, and maybe the fourth thing I'd say is always keep the energy up, which that can probably be for me the most challenging because I'm a pretty mellow guy by nature. If you leave me on my own devices, I'll just be reading the corner. Um, but I love what you have to say and I love the way you say it. You say it in a way I've never heard before and you're able to take a concept that I have heard before, but say it in a way that touches me more deeply because the way in which you say it. And so I don't know. I, I, I love the, I love your delivery, but I also, and I also sympathize with you, um, you know, around always wanting to improve and tweak and make things better. I appreciate it, man. I just, I, yeah, thank you very much. I, I, with, you know, working online and social media, I just, I've realized you just got to be yourself, man. Like, 
the end of the day, that's all it is because there's so many masks, there's so many people trying to be somebody else or copy somebody else, you know, or Gary Vee or Grant Cordon, or I want to be like this. It's like, man, they're their own human. You got to be your own self. You oh know? my gosh. That's every, honestly, that's everything. And that's the one thing that can't be duplicated or replicated is you, is me, is yeah. any, right? And if you're not doubling down on that, you're always going to be second best. You know, if I'm trying to be Tony Robbins or Abraham Hicks or Eckhart Tolle or whoever, I'm always going to be second rate. <laughs> but with, when it comes to me, I can always be first rate. I'm like the first, I'm like the best version of me always, <laughs> you know? So it's a good point. And I do think that, um, you know, we only need one of everybody in the world. We've got one Eckhart Tolle. We've got one Tony Robbins. We've got one Grant Cardone. So we're good. We, now we want you and me, yeah. the rest of us. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's, that's the thing. We got to come into our own power and understand we are powerful, you know, each, each of us. And I'm not just saying that, like, the more I dive into this stuff, the more conversations I have with these, you know, high level people like yourself, I realize how powerful all of us are. This exchange of energy, like we are, and to discredit that is, 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 is bad. You know, like you got to be able to understand your power and that effect that you can have on another human, good way and bad way. And you got to be conscious of that. Oh, right? beautiful, you know? beautiful point, man. Like, and I, I would, you're absolutely right about that. Um, if there's one theme I talk consistently about with both my executives and like the peak performers, whether athletes or whether everyday people like me, they, they, they all want to more deeply and fully embody their true power, right? And recognize and celebrate their true power. And for me, that often means that's authenticity. And the deeper and the more authentic you are, the more you tap into, tune into, turn into that place inside of you that is nothing but power. It's immovable and shakeable and conditional power. And for me, I often think about it as just energy. It's energy. And when you think about and notice all the very similar action that everybody's taking in the world, but the drastically different results they're all getting, you have to come to the conclusion that most of us are trying to get too much leverage out of action, out of being someone else or doing something else, and not enough leverage out of energy of just tapping into that which you are that which uplifts you, it lifts you up, that which ex inspires you and excites you, it's that that when you tap into that is most contagious and most persuasive and most influential and most powerful. It's tapping into that space, that energy of who you really are. Yeah, the, <laughs> so true, man. I just got back from a, um, a yoga retreat down in Mexico and I'd never been on one before. And it was talk, it was actually like, you know, creating unshakable ground, you know, like, and, and just so true that energy that you work on, you know, mind, body, and just what you can create inside that power that we have and that to be able to transmute that into the world to somebody else is just so amazing. And I never thought, I thought everything was, you know, coincidental before. I thought everything was just the successful people are successful because of whatever reason, but yeah, man. The more I, the more I, I study it in my, my own self, cause I'm very, I was very stubborn. The more I realize like how powerful that is. So. Absolutely. Well, you know, you got that book thinking grow rich behind, behind you. One of my favorite books, yeah. particularly when I was starting my journey and you know, he talks all about vibration. The world got edited out uh, in, in, you know, in some editions, but um, you know, that's what he was talking about. It was sort of yeah. how is self mastery, mastering that power and that energy that is within you. And it's absolutely everything you know it's everything and 
you, you know, I think a lot of times, and I've done it too, we put people who are really successful or really wealthy up on a pedestal and think that they've done something that we can't. But the reminder for me always is if they can do it, then I can do it in my space, whatever my space is, um, you know, and I can do it in my industry, in my field. And it's really mostly for me about just getting into alignment with who you really are and trusting that if you follow your bliss, you're going to be led to increasing success in all ways. You know, and that's been my experience that the more I'm true to me and true to myself and the more I trust that, the more serendipitous experiences I have. And all of a sudden, you know, instead of needing to do X, Y, and Z in order to get someplace, you just simply tap into who you are. And next thing you know, that thing shows up. Yeah, man. Super powerful. So true. What I want to hear, what else you, what else you working on these days? You know, oh, what, uh, like, I know you, you, you're, you got lots of things and I could have read, I could have read your, uh, your bio for like a day straight, man, the amount of accomplishments <laughs> and people you've connected with. And it's, it's, it's remarkable. So, you know, what, what are you, what else are you working on? Maybe tell us a bit about your book. If you're working on another one or, you know, anything like yeah. that. Great question. So, um, I wrote happiness from the inside out in like 2007, 2008. And um, since then, I've written four more, but I haven't published them, which just goes to show that we all sometimes procrastinate for things on the shelf. I had been working on them over the course of the years, but what happens is, and you know this, the more you grow, the more you want to change what you originally wrote. So it's been continuous editing and updating. And, you know, so I'm like 95% done with all four of those books, you know, uh, love from the inside out, success from the inside out, really about authentic success. Um, joy from the inside out and bliss from the inside out. And they all have, they all sound somewhat like happiness because that's ultimately what I write about. But each of them is a deeper dive into what true happiness is. You know, the beginning with happiness from the inside out, I mostly talked about jumping from the world and not focusing on the world so much, but focusing on your mindset and state of mind. And joy from the inside out is really re realizing and recognizing that do your best to tell a better feeling story based in truth, work on the mindset, but there's also this incredible opportunity to let go of all thinking and just be, like just embody whatever state it is that you want to embody. You don't have to think your way there. You don't have to visualize yourself there. Just embody it right now, the same way that an actor can sit, sit there and all of a sudden, confident, all of a sudden, happy, successful. But you can practice that vibration. You can practice tapping into that state instantly, immediately, without a thousand practices and exercises and activities to get you there. You know, so that's sort of what I've been working on those four books. I'm doing a workshop um, with my sister. It's called the I Am Conference back in Pittsburgh. Um, and then I'm a part of Dr. Aaron's Soul Society um, sort of group. And so I'm going to be talking March 5th. If you're interested, I'd love to have you, of course, um, come by. And anybody else who wants to come by, uh, March 5th, um, Soul Society at the Pier Hotel in Beverly Hills. Um, I think it's like 6 or 7 o'clock, 7 o'clock at night. Um, that's when I, I mostly just like to talk to people about happiness um, and I don't really, quite honestly, I'm not in this for me. I just genuinely love talking to people about happiness and seeing them happy. That's all I care about, man. Like, it's really all I care about. Yeah, man. And it's, you can tell by your energy and everything. Like, you just, you want, you want to live a fulfilling life and that brings you joy. And I mean, that's at the end of the day, right? Like, that, seeing other people happy. It's like giving somebody, the, you know, giving somebody gifts instead of receiving a gift. It's the best feeling in the world. Oh. Dude, it's so true. Like, I think about that. I'm like, what's my dream car? And I'm like, that's my dream. And that would be so nice to have that. And then I'm like, what if I gave that dream car to my mom? That'd be 10 times better. Like, it'd be 10 times better just to see her face lit up. Oh, that feeling. 
that oh. feeling you see when they're just like, <gasps> like that, that yeah. genuine excitement there, you can't beat that. You really can't, man. You really can't. It's yeah. so true. Um, and so, yes, you're right. At the end of the day, um, there's nothing like living, being happy, sharing that happiness with the world and therefore living in a happier world. You know, at the end of the day, I think that's all what we all want. And I just wanted to touch on one more thing that you brought up is that about kind of procrastinating to get that out there because I've heard that twice. I had one, I had somebody else earlier and that was one tip that he said to me on another show. He was like, if there's one thing I could say, get that idea out right now and let the marketplace decide. Don't sit on it because you're just going to keep trying to, to make it better and better and become a perfectionist with it. And I was like, man, that's, that's so true because I've done that so many times. Dude, it's the greatest advice. I love that you share that. My brother worked as a uh, TV reporter in uh, Ohio for a little while. And he, was, he and I always had these conversations because his producer would always say, just get the story out. My brother was like, but I can make it so much better. Just get it out there. By the time <laughs> you get it out there, the story is no longer a story. And it's so true what you're saying there. You know, we can edit our lives, ourselves, our work forever, and it won't ever see the light of day. Do your best, get it out there, and recognize that if there's opportunity to improve it, you can do that with the next version. You can do that with the next book, the next project, the next movie, and that's a very, very, very good thing. But if you don't get it out there, nobody will ever hear of you, they'll know of your work, and they won't be benefited by what you have to offer. So I love you for saying that and for sharing that. No, man, I, it's, it's so true. And um, you just got to get it out there, and we just – so many people are sitting on ideas. I think that they're just scared of whatever reason, but yeah, I'm glad you can relate to that too, man. So I, I always ask this, this has got to be the first thought that comes to your mind now. Okay. This is, this is, what is the number one thing that you can tell listeners, everyone listen out there that they can use to overcome adversity, to go on, to create amazing lives, uh, whatever it is they do. Stop thinking, stop thinking so much, stop overanalyzing, stop obsessively compulsively worrying and thinking practice non-thinking when you're in the shower when you're eating when you're in conversation when you're wanting to get that book out there whatever it is stop thinking so much practice the peace that passes understanding that comes when you quiet your mind and just tap into that cool calm collected place inside where everything is always always well everything is always all good you know, so I would say that's the number one thing. If there's one thing I'd recommend people to do, it's to spend more time in the silence, just being present and just being the presence. Awesome. I love it. And every person has a different thing. And I just love that last <laughs> question because I, I like to just be like, no, tell me the first thing you think about. Don't overthink it. And you said stop thinking. So it's just perfect. That's great. Dude, that's great. <laughs> love that. That's perfect. That just goes to show. How much of a one mind you and I actually are. 100%, man. 100%. All right, let's plug you. I know you've kind of talked about it bits and pieces, but I want everybody to check out all your work, man. You're amazing, and you bring such a freaking light of uh, fire into people's lives, and I'm just, like, super excited, man, to to share that with everyone. So let's let's hear where where you're at, where they can find you. I love it, man. So you can catch me or find me on Coach Rob Mac. Dot com also on all social media platforms at rob mac m-a-c-k official and of course you can find me monday through friday weekdays um at 9 to 10 a.m pacific time on all social media platforms brother i so appreciate you you have no idea we love you so much at good morning Lawland. and i personally am so deeply grateful 
for the work that you do, man. It's work like yours that saved my life, really. So thank you for that. Oh man, I thank you as well. Like that's why I think we connect so well is that you we're on the same, we're on the exact same path, you know, and I really appreciate it. I remember we connected right away. I was like instantly, I was like, whoa, this guy's this guy's got some energy. And I was like, I fell on fire when I left your guys' studio. So I just want you to know as well, thank you so much. I was so excited to have this interview and anybody that gets to, you know, chat in your presence, in my opinion, is is very lucky. So thanks so much, man. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you, man. That's great. Okay. Cheers, man. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you got some value from that. Without you guys, this is impossible. So I really, really appreciate it. If you enjoyed the episode and got value from it, go ahead and rate it, review it, hit that subscribe button. We want to get this to as many people as possible. and We want this thing to grow. So go ahead, rate, review, subscribe. And I can't wait for the next episode. Thank you so much. You just finished another class at the University of Adversity. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and tune in again next time for more life lessons with Lance ECOs.